Y'all, we appreciate Samuel Merritt University so much for continuing to help keep this podcast going. They want us to tell you about their new Advance Your Practice Scholarship. They're offering a $10,000 scholarship to anyone who enrolls in their MSN, DNP, or Family Nurse Practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. If you're interested in getting more information about the programs, you can visit them at fnp.samuelmerritt.edu and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's fnp.samuelmerritt.edu. And as always, we'll put that link on our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. Hey, everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back for another week of true crime and healthcare, nursing, whatever you want to call it. We just like to talk about the good and the bad of everything that kind of goes on in healthcare and nursing. And this week I have an old friend of the podcast, David Metzger, with Nurse Papa podcast and author. Hey, David, how are you? I'm good, Tina. It's been a long while. It's been a while. We were just talking about that. It's been like several months before you were, it's like you were here every day. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you yeah, you were living in my basement and then all of a sudden you were gone. I don't know what happened. I know. I escaped from that basement. It's not as if I didn't appreciate your hospitality, but I don't know. My family was missing me. I had stuff to do at home. So yeah, you know, I had to get away, but it's it's good to be back on the podcast again. Well, it's good to have you back. I'm really excited about when we get to the Good Nurse Story. Your wife, Kavina, is going to be joining us, and we're going to get to talk about one of my favorite people in the whole world, my preceptor, Azeb. And Kavina is going to help us understand what's going on in Azeb's home country of Ethiopia, specifically in the region of Tigray. When we get to that, Kavina will join us and we're going to we're going to talk about that. So you guys stick around. That's going to be really interesting and really important to bring awareness. Yeah, she's going to (laughs) try. I know she will. I have no doubts whatsoever. So I guess we can get started with the bad doctor story. David, you and I always do bad doctors. I don't know why it doesn't. it's, It's not on purpose, but it's always a doctor. It's just the way it works out. It's not always a doctor. We I do lots of nurses and other people on here, but I don't know. I know. For a while, I thought this should be the Bad Doctor Good Nurse podcast. Because there's so many. <laughs> I promise we do other healthcare professionals. Have you considered doing a show about a bad veterinarian? Has that happened yet? I have done at least one, I remember, specifically have done. But other than that, I don't, I don't know. I don't think veterinarians do bad things very often. So my son, he's five, and he's just learning how to, like, talk in some ways. You know, he just he doesn't know some words. And we were talking about these two tigers at our local zoo who had to be put to sleep because they were old and sick. And he said, Papa, it was vegetarians who killed them. Oh. I'm like, son, I don't think the vegetarians did it. <laughs> And my daughter was like, Papa, no, he means veterinarians. <laughs> it was cute. That is very cute. I love it. You guys, that's just the sort of thing that you'll hear 
on his podcast, the Nurse Papa podcast, or in his book, just really cute little quips and anecdote, anecdotes like that, and they go along with life lessons. So yes, you really should check out his podcast and his book, Nurse Papa. Yeah, there always is a life lesson, isn't there? Yes, and you're really good at pulling those out of those really funny moments. So that's what I love about that book. <laughs> I, I'm really good about fabricating life lessons. <laughs> you are. Well, you embellish a little bit, I think, on some of them for the for for comedic uh, purposes, which you're so good at. So. Oh no! I, all those stories are true. <laughs> they are true. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's Even just the amazing. most ridiculous ones. <laughs> well, it's good. I think. Well, you're good at at. at translating them, I guess, or writing about them. Yeah. Thank you so much. And just for your viewers who don't know my podcast, it is the Nurse Papa podcast, and it's all about parenting and nursing and the intersection in between. But yeah, let's talk about this bad doctor. This is the story of Robert Birnbaum. This doctor was a plastic surgeon in New York who gained notoriety after his wife disappeared under suspicious circumstances, of course, in 1987. So we're going to just jump right to it, right off the bat. Yeah. So Gail Katz was her name. She first met Bierenbaum in the early 1980s when he was a surgical resident in Maimonide. I knew I was going to do it. Darn it. I was real. I practiced this like 10 times. Maimonide. Mm -mm. What, the pronunciation of that? Of my, yes. Maimonides. It's, I know. Okay. It's biblical, isn't it? It's not that hard. I don't know why. It's, I have a mental block, I swear, because was I said it a million times. I don't know, but this is not that difficult of a word. I have no idea why my brain doesn't want to say it. It just stops every time, you, right halfway through. Do you think this is like long haul COVID kind of affecting your tongue? <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> I don't know. I think we did this the first time because David and I recorded this before about the same story. And I goofed up and had all kinds of technical difficulties. So we're having to re-record it. And I'm pretty sure I messed this name up before. I practice so much and I'm, I'm sure you just do. Well, okay. Blow Every right through this with no problem. Everybody, let's support Tina here. She needs your support. Tina, we're going to give this one more try. When he was a surgical resident at When he was a surgical resident at Maimonides Medical Center. Oh, it's just not an easy word to say. It doesn't just roll off the tongue, or at least it doesn't. It work. depends on the tongue, Tina, but go on. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm completely off now. So anyway, he was a surgical resident at that hospital in Brooklyn, and she was a psychology major at Hunter College. Much had, easier to say. You had no problem with that one. I know. So easy. So she quickly became captivated by his charm. All these doctors are always charming, aren't they? The ones that do stuff like this. Oh, yeah. He was a polyglot and no stranger to utilizing his pilot's license to land a romantic date. The couple was married in 1982, but the relationship quickly deteriorated and took a nosedive. So polyglot is a person who speaks, I believe, three to seven languages at least. Do you know what languages he spoke? I do not. No. Research. Let's go on. I know. <laughs> you literally just opened this up for anybody to, to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Email. <laughs> Tina, how dare you not do your research? I've always wanted to be a polyclot, personally, but I'm only... A polyclot? <laughs> I, I'm just a poly. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a clot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So, early on in their relationship, Katz downplayed a few red flags in his behavior, making excuses when he allegedly attempted to drown her beloved cat in the toilet. I usually tell people, I try to give them a little warning before I say anything like that, because I have gotten emails before about animal 
deaths or torture uh-huh. or whatever. So sorry if I didn't do that before, but the, the cat didn't die. So at least there's And that. it was not a vegetarian who, who did it, it was, to the cat. <laughs> no, it wasn't a vegetarian. <laughs> or a veterinarian for that matter. Or a veterinarian, <laughs> yeah. So they were involved in numerous verbal arguments that escalated to physical contact on a few occasions. And one time he caught her smoking a cigarette on the balcony of their apartment and strangled her to the point of unconsciousness. This reminds me a lot of another story that I did about a doctor that um, kind of did this to his wife. I think that um, was a story that we did. <laughs> was it? Because so. that's so familiar. Yeah. So he stayed by her side when he did that, waited for her to sort of come around and then profusely swore that it would never happen again, of course. And no legal repercussions occurred from that event. Nothing ever happened. And she later confided to her family and friends that she was afraid of his bad temper. I mean, I guess so. She would complain that he was very controlling. And her family and friends reported that on many occasions she expressed her discontent and wanted a divorce, but she was concerned of course, that she would not be able to, for one thing, financially support herself. This is this comes up a lot in these situations. A lot of times this is the reason that it makes it difficult for, a, a, usually it's a woman, but a spouse to leave someone who's abusive because they're financially um, dependent upon them. So it's just not easy to just walk out the door if you can't, if you don't have anywhere to go and you don't have the yeah. money to and despite the attempted drowning, the cat was emotionally attached to Dr. Bierenbaum is what I hear. You did not hear that. I did not. I made that up. Oh, it's going to be like, <laughs> where was this? I don't remember. Somebody's doing all. research here, Tina. <laughs> you know, I did my research on that cat. Okay. What was the cat? Do you, do you know the cat's name? Now, come on. Now name, you, the nameless, you've done it. nameless cat. There, it was Kitty. Okay. There you go. <laughs> That's what it was. Cats once recounted that Bierenbaum commented during a television documentary about a wealthy socialite that was accused of attempting to murder his heiress wife, that, quote, the problem with Klaus von Bülow is that he left evidence and I would not leave evidence. So, of course, she's just thinking, oh, that's creepy. We're watching this story, you know, and it's you're literally saying that, that you would be able to do it better. <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird thing to brag about, but... It is. Very strange. You know, you got to hang on to what you got when you're a polyglot... It's very, it's, <laughs> it's very manipulative because it's uh, sort of a passive aggressive way of saying, I, I would be able to, I would be able to, and would have no problem carrying out what that person did. And I would do it better, you know? Yeah. And with more, you know, panache. Mm-hmm. So her psychiatrist urged her to leave the marriage and sent a letter that said that Birnbaum was a threat to her safety. She started to seek fulfillment outside of her marriage and made plans to leave her husband as she fell in love with another man. So she took out a loan when she was preparing to leave and searched the newspaper's classifieds for apartments. So she's trying to get ready. And we've talked about that before on this podcast with women who are trying to get out of these situations, that it is best to try to plan your escape you know, try to make and be careful when you're doing that, of course. But that is what people who understand the situation, that's what they recommend to do is to make plans, be extremely careful about it so that your spouse doesn't know what you're doing. But getting involved in 
a relationship with someone else before you're completely separated and, and have severed all ties is definitely not safe because it, if they're not going to be enraged enough when you actually leave to, to know that you're with another person, it seems like it's just going to be even more, you know, incendiary. It's just not going to be. Is that what happened in this situation? He found out? Well, we're going to find out, aren't we? I can't wait. So once a friend offered her a place to stay rent-free, she began to set her plan into motion. She intended to use the letter from her psychiatrist for leverage during the divorce proceedings, in addition to exposing him and his father's alleged multi-million dollar Medicare fraud if her demands were not met. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes this stethoscope so amazing. Uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD Stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet. And I have plantar fasciitis, so now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC-free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products, greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care, be sure and put .care instead of .com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. So on the day of July 7th, 1985, 
Near 11 a.m., the couple was involved in a verbal argument, and Birnbaum later described Katz Birnbaum's behavior as, quote, explosive. So there are conflicting accounts as to what happened after the couple's argument concluded. However, a key component was missing in every retelling of the story from Birnbaum, a nearly two-hour flight that he had flown between 4.30 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. So on one account of the events, he informed law enforcement that his wife immediately left the apartment after their argument to, quote, cool off and to sunbathe in Central Park. She didn't return by 6.30 p.m. for his nephew's birthday party in New Jersey, so he attended the party by himself. He told another friend that he went searching for her in Central Park after she failed to return a few hours later and located her towel and suntan oil that Katz Birnbaum was not cited. So he didn't actually share that account with law enforcement. Additionally, he reportedly made light of his wife's disappearance and joked that she was probably enjoying a shopping spree at Bloomingdale's. And this is after everyone else is concerned about where she is. And it's it's obvious that she's missing. Mm-hmm. It's a little suspicious for him to be joking around about it. Right. A few of his other explanations of her vanishing were a possible suicide attempt, a murder by drug dealers, rendezvous with her boyfriend to the Caribbean and a new life in California financially aided by her family. So these are all like, well, maybe she did this, or maybe she did that. And these are ways that he's trying to you know, come up with to say she, she's probably still alive. She's just out there, you know, doing something, either that or, you know, someone else took her out or she just decided she didn't want to live anymore. No evidence was found to support any of those claims and... Law enforcement was not permitted by Birnbaum to access the couple's marital apartment until September 30th, but seven days after her disappearance, a search party of friends and family regrouped at the apartment after distributing missing persons flyers around the city. So according to her close friend, Marianne, Birnbaum explained away the missing rug in the apartment. I wonder why the cat got sick. I had to take the rug out to be cleaned. He appeared to have no issues with resuming his day-to-day affairs. With A few weeks after his wife's disappearance, he started seeing other women and continued to pilot rented planes. So he had pursued a romantic relationship with him with a medical student, Dr. Roberta Karnofsky, and invited her to live at his apartment. She actually moved in to the apartment with him and reported that she never saw him make any attempts to search for his missing wife. This is some, you know, something she would say later on, like she confronted him about his wife's disappearance after hearing some ac- accusatory messages on the answering machine. So I know here she is living with him in his apartment and she overhears, I guess it's like, this is kind of back in the day. So you, p- people would call, leave a message and you could hear it playing you could hear them leaving a message while you're literally sitting there oh yeah we should explain to your listeners that uh, what an answering machine is an they... answering machine <laughs> i'm sure there are people that know what it is and there are probably people that are like you know hearing accusatory messages how could they hear yeah it's just, <laughs> it was very different back in that day yeah you could so, screen a lot better yeah because you could just be like oh pick up the phone real fast because i do want to talk to that person she told him that she believed something happened during the argument with his wife and that she may have become injured intentionally or not. So she's she's thinking, I'm starting to think something happened. I'm not saying you did it on purpose, but it's not really adding up that you didn't have anything to do with your wife's disappearance. 
She said that he didn't really react when she speculated that he could have put her into a large duffel bag, drove her to the airport and tossed her, tossed the bag out of a plane. He didn't even react. How does one bring up that delicate subject? Well, apparently she did it without any problems. I mean, if you really think that he did this, wouldn't it be dangerous to bring it up to him? Yeah, you think you would just kind of exit the relationship. But maybe, I don't know, maybe she felt like she was already part of this drama and, you know, she felt responsible for this young lady's disappearance and thought she should clear it up. I understand that. I understand maybe she starts feeling maybe guilty or who knows, but I definitely don't think it was a good idea to confront him like that. I think it would have probably been safer for her to just move along quietly and then maybe talk to the authorities after she's safe away from him. So here's the interesting thing. He had a flight log for the flights that he made with his plane and it was altered and she found it. She and her friend found this flight log and could tell that it had been altered so that it didn't show that flight that happened during that crucial couple of hours that day. And so they turned that over to the authorities and it showed a handwritten entry that a flight occurred on 7785, but it was changed to read 8785. Oh, you know, it's so easy to make a seven look like an eight. Yeah. You just like do a little S. The little, and then you got this straight line across the top and then people are like, wait, what's that straight line? You're like, that's, you how, that. I, that's how I do my eights, dude. Flat yeah. eight. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, let's look at your other eights. Hmm. How about that? Yeah. I'm like, well, I recently picked up this habit of flat eights. <laughs> <laughs> I just started thinking, I like the flat eights. I'm going with the flat eights. It's like the newest thing, the flat eights. And like, I want to be part of that group. No, it's not. Well, it's very suspicious, Tina. I don't believe it. It's very suspicious. (laughs) The authorities were not able to find her body. Now, they did find there was a torso that washed up um, on shore, but they later found that it was not her body. I mean, how odd is this that someone, a torso would wash up on the body, or a torso would wash up on shore, and it wouldn't be his wife? Honestly, I feel like it's a dead body from one of your other shows. (laughs) (laughs) it's just the wrong episode tina that's right this happened back in july hey get out of here this is the wrong episode this is a weird time warp but okay let's keep going well even though that didn't turn out the way they wanted it to they you know of course they they got really excited when this torso washed up and they're thinking this has got to be her and even though it turned out to not be her they went ahead and proceeded to uh, prosecute the surgeon on the circumstantial evidence that they had against him. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah. So they had long suspected that Kat's beer and bomb was the victim of foul play, of course. They speculated you mean that. mean like she was attacked by birds? <laughs> well, they didn't actually have her body. And so there wasn't any real evidence that she had been murdered. And so when Dr. Beer and bomb is saying, oh, I mean, she let, ran off with her boyfriend or started a new life they didn't have any real evidence that didn't happen so but they still suspected that she was the victim of foul play and they speculated that he had dismembered his wife and then transported her remains on foot to his car two blocks away drove to the airport and disposed of her remains into the ocean Prosecutors called in a series of experts to recreate the scene and confirm that it was possible for this the surgeon 
a seasoned pilot to single-handedly operate the plane with minimum effort and discard a bag of human remains from the air into the ocean during a two-hour flight. Yeah, I could see that. You just have like a stick and you just kind of push the bag with one arm, right? I guess. You haven't thought about this, Tina? When I think about being in one of those planes, I would never be in one. So it's hard for me to imagine anything like that. You don't have a private jet? (laughs) No. No, and I, I would not get on a small plane like that. I barely want to get on a commercial plane. Oh, so you haven't been on any small planes? Well, I had to get on one when we went to the Bahamas, I think, So, but I didn't want to. It, it is a little bit scary, actually. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like planes. But can I tell you, it's incredibly easy to push a body outside of the window while you're on one. Is that right? Yeah, it's not a problem. Are you saying you wouldn't have gotten caught? I would never do something like this. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Tina, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you accuse me? And right before my wife comes onto this podcast, it's true. You insinuate that I could strangle a cat. I no, I don't. don't. And then have the audacity to lay hands on another human being. My gosh, I don't think you would do that. I wouldn't be able to pull it off. Let's be honest. Yeah, I don't think you would. No, never. I'm a good guy. Well, they had a trial by jury, and he was found guilty of murder in the second degree on November the 29th in 2000, but he maintained his innocence. He was sentenced to 20 years to life. He attempted to appeal the court's decision for different reasons, but the decision was not ever reversed. He was eligible for parole in December of 2020, and he finally abandoned his position of innocence. He confessed to the murder of his wife by strangulation. He said that that he resorted to violence because, quote, he wanted her to stop yelling at me. (laughs) Just leave the room, dude. (laughs) Come on. He said he did not know how to control his anger. When he was asked how he committed the murder, his account of the events echoed the reenactment that had occurred in the courtroom 20 years prior. So they got it right. What, like he used a stick to push her body out? Well, that, that he dismembered her and that he... Yeah, had her in the duffel bag and that he dumped her out of the plane. Can you imagine being in that courtroom and hearing all those details? That's crazy. So is this, yeah, is this guy going to get out? No, he was eligible for another court hearing for parole in November of 2021, but there hasn't been any more information. I would imagine now that he's admitted to, I don't know, David, what do you think? Because part of the reason I think that people don't get out on parole is that they won't admit their guilt. And so maybe he's do he did that because then when he goes before the board, he will be able to say, I've learned my lesson. I know what I did was wrong. I've, I've learned how to get control of my anger. I know I had problems. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's why he decided to confess because he saw that parole was coming up. I do know my only law knowledge is that you can't be tried twice for something. So it's called double jeopardy, I believe. We'll have to ask my wife when she comes on. So he couldn't get a, a tougher sentence because he later said, I did it, from what I understand. But I don't think, I don't know. I don't, if I was a guy uh, or a female, either either gender on the parole committee, I, I wouldn't let him out. <laughs> he seems like he's dangerous. Yeah, uh, you would hope. I mean... But I do think that he probably is thinking, well, because, you know, I, I've done uh, stories about people being released on parole, a, a few of them. And what I've mm-hmm. come to find is that apparently there are just like protocols, I guess, that have to be met that these 
parole boards have to go by. And so they don't necessarily get to like choose. Mm. They have to go, okay, they've met all these requirements and you we can release we will release you. They don't necessarily make the decision from what I understand. And I so by him admitting what he did, if he's done all like he's been had good behavior the whole time, he hasn't been in any trouble. He's had I don't know, maybe he's kept a job or maybe he's somehow helped people. He helped Maybe he's helped inmates get their GED. and They always say, and he ran the prison library for 10 years right. and, and helped, mm-hmm. helped other offenders right. do research on their sentences. <laughs> That's what I'm wondering is he obviously is a very intelligent person and he knows that that would probably be the only way that he would have a chance of getting out is if he yeah. met, you know, all of those requirements. So he may very well end up getting out at his next parole hearing. Who knows? Okay, well, I hope not. And if that cat is still around, I hope that he or she has found a good home. Uh, sorry to tell you guys this, but I know I said I didn't have anything to do with death, but I'm pretty sure that cat's dead because <laughs> it's been like 40 <laughs> Tina, years. Tina, couldn't you have waited until I got off? Man, <laughs> can I point out something really interesting? Sure. Well, so uh, as you said earlier, we did an episode on this exact story about four months ago. Um, and this recording that we just did was completely different than the last one we did, which I think speaks to our unique conversational banter. What do you think? I think that that's amazing. And I think I don't even remember because <laughs> it was four months ago. Do you remember it, David? I do remember you were, you were not at your best self. <laughs> you were a little stressed out. Yeah, it was a very stressful time. Yeah, it was a hard time. So I think, I think it's um, good that recording didn't happen. Well, everything happens for a reason, right? So Do you believe right. that? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's not one nurse in the U.S. who believes things happen for a reason. <laughs> I don't really believe that. <laughs> it's all giant crapshoot. It's nice to think about, though. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. And now I guess it's time for our good nurse story. So for this story, David's wife, Kavina, who is a, an asylum attorney, is going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about the horrible tragedy that's been going on in Ethiopia between the people of Tigray, which is the neighboring country to Eritrea, and the Ethiopian government for quite some time. So all of this conflict has been going on for a while now. And it directly involves my dear friend and preceptor, who is our good nurse story for this week's episode. Her name is Azeb, and I'm really excited to get to talk about her. Kavina, thank you so much for being here and offering your knowledge and perspective on the subject. Sure, I'm happy to be here. So I want to start by telling you guys about my preceptor, Azeb. Azeb, and I've talked about her before on this podcast. I know I, I mention her a lot when I talk about nursing and why I love nursing and why I'm 
I, I get sort of obsessive about certain things that I do because she kind of drilled things into my head. She's such a good nurse. She's originally from Ethiopia. She moved to the United States many years ago with her husband and went to nursing school here, which of course is amazing because although she grew up in Ethiopia learning English, it was definitely her second language and she didn't really get to speak it until she came here. And so, and also learning it in a different dialect and it was very different. And she went to nursing school. So for you guys that are listening, I know there's a lot of nursing students. You're probably crying right now <laughs> listening to this, but I just want you to think about someone coming to a completely different country and going to nursing school and learning it in your second language. That's how amazing she is. She's been a nurse for over a decade now, and she was my preceptor in 2015 when I was a newly graduated nurse. So first of all, Zeb is a, a wonderful, amazing nurse. Her voice is always in my head when I'm working, reminding me how important my job is and how vulnerable my patients are and how careful I must be because these patients are counting on me to take care of them and advocate for them. And I will always be thankful for her guidance and her friendship. So just recently, she started travel nursing with me, and we took an assignment at the same hospital just a couple of hours from where we live. And so we were talking one day about the extra money that we were getting uh, by taking these travel jobs. And Azeb told me that she's able to use the extra money to send to Ethiopia to help the people who are suffering from all the conflict that's been going on there. So that really touched my heart. I, I, knew, I know Azeb is an amazing person, so I wasn't really surprised because that's just how she is. But it just occurred to me that she's the very type of nurse who we would talk about on this podcast as a good nurse. And doing so would give us an opportunity to bring awareness about what's going on in her country right now. Because it's not really talked about a lot in the national media. I don't hear it on social media. So I, I would really like to talk about it and to bring awareness. This is where I'd like to bring you into the discussion and try to give our listeners a picture of what exactly is going on and has been going on in this region of Ethiopia. Can you give our listeners a brief sort of synopsis of the situation there? Sure. I, I want to just start off giving my context and to say that I am not an authority on the situation. I do practice immigration law and I focused on asylum. And through that context, I have had a handful of clients from Ethiopia and Eritrea. And so I have learned enough about the situation to, I think, provide some context for your listeners. What I can say is that I love all the Ethiopian clients that I've worked with, as you were mentioning about, as they are all so warm and dear and very loving and really gracious individuals. And I understand that they have lived in a situation where there is a lot of conflict. And so what I know about the history and the current situation is this, is that Ethiopia has a number of different ethnic groups. And so as a result, you know, I think there are competing interests within those groups. What happened was that the government, the Marxist government that was in power toppled in 1991 and the Tigrayans were part of the reason why. They created a coalition government with other ethnic parties to then rule the government. It's the EPRDF and I don't know what that stands for off the top of my head, but it is. It was a coalition group, and the Tigrayans, through the TPLF, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, were kind of the, the lead in that. And so the Tigrayans make up about 7% of the Ethiopian population. So they are fairly in the minority. And so, unfortunately, the EPRDF, EPDRF was a fairly 
authoritarian and repressive government. Many of the clients that I worked with come from Amhara or the Oromo areas and explained to me that anybody who tried to protest or counter the ruling government was faced with pretty severe forms of repression, free speech, times detention, torture. And so there was a real movement to try to create new coalitions of government that would speak on behalf of all of the different ethnicities and their needs. Because uh, the current, the well, at the time current system made it so that the Tigrayans were getting benefits, at least in their eyes. So what happened was then in 2012, one of the EPRDF president who was kind of keeping things stable died, and that resulted in opening up opportunities for various protests. And finally, in 2018, the current president was elected. He happens to be of Oromo descent, but was part of the EPDRF coalition. And so when he came into power, uh, he really wanted to try to bring in other voices, especially the people that had felt that, you know, Haras and Oromos were not being represented fairly in the government or their voices were not being heard in society. And so moved to remove or sanction some of the Tigrayan officials that were the ones spearheading a lot of the repressive um, policies and torture and human rights violations. And so, you know, that was fine, I think, for the people who were not Tigrayan or part of the TPLF. And again, I should say that I've worked with Tigrayans as well. And so I don't think this is a, you know, one-sided story. I think it's people who are in power and who are the ones controlling the situation, not the average person. And so the new president, Abi Ahmed, created a new government and the TPLF was not part of this coalition. And I think that became a really big source of conflict. And as a result, there have been other tensions. And so the Tigrayan region in Ethiopia, the, the people there in the TPLF started to rebel. And, and that's where the conflict is currently kind of manifesting, because I think now they feel like they are not being heard and that their needs are now going to be repressed. So it's a lot of conflict. And again, like we see in most situations, it's the few people in power. It might be, you know, rebel forces, but the average person gets caught up in the conflict who doesn't necessarily want what's happening. From what I understand, the country of Eritrea sits on the Ethiopian border of the Tigray region. And so for decades, this is, there's been this conflict even between Eritrea and Ethiopia over territory or whatever the, the conflict is. And so then the current leader, B. Ahmed, when he did uh, come into power, he signed some sort of a peace treaty with Eritrea and he got the Nobel Peace Prize for making peace with the country and everything was supposed to be wonderful. But then apparently there are people who think that part of that deal that he made with Eritrea was to allow them to invade Tigray with no retaliation from the Ethiopian government. And so they're not getting protection when the Eritreans come in, their military comes in and does and attacks them. They're getting no help from the Ethiopian government, as from what I understand. Yeah. So from what I understand as well, that the president of Eritrea has had a longstanding, I don't know, bitterness, distaste, conflict with the Tigray region as well. And so once the alliance between Ethiopia and Eritrea was formalized, I think it then did give them license to attack into Tigray. 
Yeah, so there are world leaders and human rights organizations have that have been calling upon the Ethiopian Ethiopian government to engage in peace talks and end the civil war. World leaders have accused the Ethiopian government of mass murders, forced removal of people, ethnically motivated violence, including mass rape by its soldiers. This is all things that, that are going on and that they are being accused of by, I mean, the Ethiopian government is sanctioning this, I guess. Right. I think if you were to look at it, no one is in the clear here. Everybody is participating in creating conflict, definitely. From what I understand, talking to Azeb and and in reading online and kind of, you know, watching documentaries and just trying to understand a very small amount, I I, I really don't understand, but just, just trying to understand it enough to be able to talk coherently about it. The They're integrate. There are roads that are blocked off. Their phone and internet access uh, inside the city has been mostly cut off. There is no humanitarian aid allowed into the region, and hospitals and clinics have been looted. They're having to basically wash gloves and other medical equipment that should be disposable and reuse them because they don't have any supplies. And then, I mean, people in this region, their, their bank accounts have been frozen. So people in this region who live before maybe lived uh, middle class to upper middle class lives, good jobs, you know, professors, pharmacists, doctors, business owners, they're not able to access their money and their bank accounts. And their lives are just completely, you know, turned upside down. And the people who have, have fleed from the area across the border into Sudan basically arrive in these refugee camps with just the clothes on their backs. And there are children who are orphans that are being turned away from orphanages and told the orphanage orphanages are full. We don't have any, we can't accept any more. And they're sleeping on playgrounds and it, it's at schools. And it, it's just horrible just to try to imagine what is going on. And really it's hard for me to understand. Like when I was looking and reading all this stuff, why have I not heard of this before? I'm having to literally go and dig this stuff up. It's not out there. No one is talking about this on social media. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think ultimately Ethiopia is a small country. And if you look at it from the United States perspective, it probably isn't offering, you know, very much. It's far away. It's distant. We don't have that many ties to Ethiopia. And so although, you know, Ethiopia is a very important country for the Horn of Africa and its stability is really important for that whole region, ultimately, I don't think it impacts the U.S. government in a way that has created this ripple effect to then, you know, reach out into the media or social media. But, you know, it's hard because there's conflicts probably in so many different parts of the world that just don't get the same kind of attention. And I'm not sure why certain areas have these flashpoints where it then becomes, you know, such a big deal. Whereas, you know, people are suffering everywhere and people are suffering the way that you're describing in this area and and not that many people know about it. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to talk about it and just help to bring awareness and get people talking about it. If you guys would like to get more information about the crisis in Tigray, there's a couple of websites that Azeb gave me. One of them is omnatigray.org. It's O-M-N-A-T-I-G-R-A-Y.org. And the other one is tghat.com. That's tghat.com. And so either of those websites apparently has uh, information that you can trust and also ways that you can donate and help in uh, the situation. So Kavina, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. No, I'm so glad that you're, you're bringing this up to your listeners.
I want to remind you that you can find David's book, Nurse Papa, on Amazon. You can uh, find his podcast, Nurse Papa, the podcast, on wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can, of course, find me at goodnursebadnurse.com or on social media at goodnursebadnurse. And love to hear from you if you want to email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. And I also want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. <laughs>